0: Okay, good morning, everybody. How are you all doing? Doing good. Thank you guys for being here today on this rainy, rainy morning. It's like Ireland out there, um, but good to be here. Glad you guys are here. If you've got a Bible, please grab it. Turn to Luke chapter one. We're in Luke chapter one this morning. My name's um, Phil Adams. If we haven't met already, I serve as the pastor here at Park Rogers Park. It's my joy, my privilege to serve alongside such a, such a great team here at Park RP. And even today, it's so great having just so many people up on the stage because my I also want to let you guys know that um, at the end of this message, we're going to have communion. And then after communion, we're going to have two global partners or a family of global partners come up and share. So I want to let you guys know that now because I know what happens at the end of service, particularly in that very last portion. After you guys have sung, you guys are ready to go. I know that. I feel that up here. So I'm just letting you guys know that after we have communion, we'll sit you guys back down for just two, three, four minutes, and let those guys share. And, um, you know, here at Park, our, our, our vision is proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people until there's no place left. And Andy and Nicole, who you're going to meet at the end of service, are people that exemplify that heart, and I really would love you guys um, to get to know them, even come and chat to them after service. Uh, we are in our Advent series, first week of Advent this week and so we've got a Bible turn to, to Luke chapter one, we're gonna read verse twenty six um, in, in a moment. Um, if you hear last week that, that's helpful because this week our passage is a continuation. The the opening chapter of Luke begins with, with two announcements of two miraculous conceptions twice in Luke chapter one, God miraculously creates the gift of new life. But one thing that that creates distinction between the two stories that we find in Luke chapter 1 and the stories of Elizabeth uh, and Zechariah is what we see with Elizabeth and Zechariah is that they were longing for a baby. If you were here last week, you'll know that story. In fact, that's what's so beautiful about their story, that despite the the gravity of the moment last week in this chapter, despite the importance of Christ's coming incarnation and all that was unfolding in this chapter in redemptive history, despite the multitudes of people last week that were praying outside of the temple for the future of their nation, God still, do you remember, had an ear to hear the quiet, private, hidden prayer of a single couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And so as we enter into this Advent season, despite all that that, that may feel more important than your life, or maybe feels more significant than your life, or the problems that are in your life, or whatever longings you have, remember that God hears the hidden prayers of hidden people. Amen? God hears the hidden prayers of hidden people. But one thing again different in our passage this week is that even though it's about the about another miraculous conception Elizabeth and Zechariah they were they were longing for a baby but Mary as we're going to read today wasn't Elizabeth and Zechariah they were ready to be parents they were waiting to be parents hoping to be parents Mary wasn't ready nor was she waiting, she was anticipating a marriage, not a child, not, not, not yet. I remember last week when we considered this theme in Scripture of God miraculously giving the gift of children to the childless, we considered how it serves us all by way of a reminder that no matter how or what we are longing for, no matter how, how private or personal our prayers are, there is no aspect of ourselves that is too private, too personal, too intimate, or too impossible. For God to redeem in our lives but this week God meets Mary in the exact same most private and most personal ways but gives her not that which she is longing for but in the most intimate and life-altering ways gives her what she isn't rather she is given that which leads her life down a path that yes is an honor but also is not easy A path that, yes, is an honor, but is also a weight to literally carry and steward in her body God's greatest gift to the world. And so we're going to see today that God singles out, he he chooses us to carry burdens in our lives that are, yes, an honor, but that are also heavy and hard, an honor in our lives that we maybe don't feel ready or adequate for, and yet we, we carry, we steward responsibilities that are of the greatest importance. That's what we're looking at today. So let's read our passage. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38, beautiful passage in Scripture, and it reads like this. In the sixth sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray before we keep going in God's word this morning. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that in your word we find life and we find truth. We find a foundation on which we can build our lives. God, I pray this morning, God, that we will be attentive to your spirit. that we recognize, God, the power of your word proclaimed so God, we just invite you to speak into our lives today. God, I pray for anybody that's here, it is hurting, it is in pain and it is in longing, and even this time of year, in, 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 in Christmas, when emotions can just flare up in so many different ways. God I pray that you will be present, that you will minister and care well for your people today. I pray in your name. Amen. In the first verse of our passage today, we, we see very clearly how what we are reading is a continuation of the verses that went before, that went last week. In verse 26, the first verse of today's passage reads like this. If you see it there, verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. And the sixth month in verse 26 references the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, including the first five months after which she came out of hiding, if you remember that last week, to reveal, she came out after five months to reveal that her approach, her shame had been removed, that was last week. But there was a a, a sequence, there is a sequence of events here that are linked together and this this is intentional. Remember the the primary role of John the Baptist, Elizabeth's son, was to lead into, was to, to prepare the way to go before Christ. But this time today, Gabriel is sent not, not to the temple, remember, Gabriel appeared last week to, to Zechariah, the priest, the religious leader in Jerusalem, inside the holy place surrounded by the, 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 the praying multitudes, it was the epicenter of Jewish religious life. But now look where Gabriel is. Gabriel is on the, the move and has been sent by God to a city in Galilee, a city called Nazareth. And this is like Gabriel showing up first in in Chicago and then first in in New York or first in London or first in Paris, the epicenter of importance and then going on from there to to a town or a city that's entirely unnotable and kind of unknown. I thought of some Midwest examples, wasn't very hard, didn't want to offend anybody. You know the kind of places that you drive through or go home to, I don't know. We're, we're, we're meant to read in verse 26 and, and, and feel a movement, a, a transition away from the self-important and the places of prominence, a transition away from the focal points of our world towards somewhere that looks to be entirely inappropriate for a place that Gabriel would go given the importance of the purpose for which we know Gabriel has come. And this sense of the the unexpected, it only increases as we keep reading. Because in verse 27, in this kind of backwater city, who the angel doesn't appear before only heightens the surprise when we consider who the angel actually does appear before. Because there are two people, if you look at verse 27, there are two people that Gabriel introduces to us, or that Luke introduces to us. One is a man and one is a woman one is from the lineage of the house of David and the other has no family heritage worthy of note and one is a virgin who is betrothed as in engaged to be married meaning Mary has of yet no claim or position that relates to the prestigious title that Joseph has as one born of the house of David and yet it is this woman it is the virgin it is the one who we are introduced to with no good name in an unnotable Nazareth that the Gabriel, that Gabriel has come to speak to, and I feel like kind of I'm harping on the same note over and over again as I teach through the book of Luke but I I want the the Spirit of God through this study in Luke's Gospel to leave us different, leave us with a a, a greater awareness of the mind of Christ and so what I want to emphasize in God's Word is what God's Word is emphasizing and so do you see the theme here that's already been pointed out numerous times since we started this teaching in Luke in September that Jesus Jesus came even in his conception to take religion out away from the religiously entitled away from the people of prominence towards the membership of all and I keep pointing this out part because Jesus came not only to accomplish something but to demonstrate something a, a way of life a way of life that would become known as a uniquely Christian way of life One, one, one. where we are increasingly growing in Christ-likeness means that we are increasingly growing discontent with religiosity that does not incorporate, that does not include, that does not stretch itself to create belonging for those that are currently beyond the boundaries of our community to include those left out not simplistically because they don't believe what we believe but those left out because our rhythms and our plans don't incorporate them or consider them. RP, we as a church have to ask how is the life of Christ and His bent towards others, the outsider exemplified in the life of our church? Through, through what means are we we drawing people from the outside in? You know, sometimes in conversations, I, I feel a degree of skepticism skepticism to discuss what it would mean to see the seats in this auditorium filled. But RP, what if there is a is a righteously holy discontent to be felt? that would lead us to to deeply believe that there should be people here that aren't? Not just so that seats are filled, but but church, what if we believed with all of our hearts that where the gospel is preached is where everybody belongs? Everybody. And it's so true in this, this Christmas season that we think about the kingdom coming, but it's undeniable that the kingdom of God is to be sought, the kingdom of God is to something that we seek. It is not something that we gain passively. We are to pursue the kingdom of God's coming. We are to seek it with belief and with hope and with expectation and joy, believing that within the bride of Christ there are motivations for God's glory that are good and right and pure and that are aligned with God's will for us. And so I'm left asking RP in this series, in the book of Luke, what when we see empty seats around us, is there a righteously holy discontent to be felt? Could the very motivation that propelled Christ so consistently throughout Luke's gospel to move towards those on the outside motivate us, causing us to cry out to God for a spiritual awakening here in our church body and on the north side of Chicago and for those that aren't here yet? might be so. When Gabriel finds Mary in this unexpected Nazareth, it is not only unexpected to us, but when we read it, we realize that it was also unexpected to Mary as well. In verse 28, it says Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Which, which seems entirely to be a very cordial and a kind of very friendly initial introduction on behalf of this angel, but in verse 29, it says Mary, Mary wasn't so sure. Verse 29 reads, but she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She, she's discerning, is this, this, this greeting sincere? Is this greeting genuine? We see in verse 30, what Mary was experiencing was fear. Fear. The angel says in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Then Gabriel goes on to tell Mary the reason for the visit. Gabriel, the angel says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And Gabriel keeps talking, and we're going to look at that in a moment, what Gabriel keeps continuing to say, but it seems this statement was enough for Mary to just to stop and just to try and digest, because when Gabriel is finished talking, Mary responds with a very valid question related to the first thing that Gabriel says, that she will conceive in her womb and she will bear a son. And we see her question in verse 34. She asks, how will this be, since I'm a virgin? And here, Mary isn't only thinking about the literal mechanics of conceiving a child, but she's considering her reality as a virgin. She, she, she is a young, unmarried woman from Nazareth with no acclaim or a good name. And if this angel is saying what it seems to be saying, that she is going to have a baby, how this baby comes about really matters. Because if the angel means when I get married, then I will have a baby, that's, that, that, that's one thing. But if the angel means that I'm having a baby while I'm still a virgin, if that's, even still po- if that's possible, that's going to be a whole other story for my life. That's going to lead to a whole world of potential trouble for me. Rumors, confusion, misunderstandings, never mind what Joseph's going to think. Remember, Mary, unlike Elizabeth, has no felt need of a baby. Elizabeth and Zechariah were, were ready to be parents. Mary isn't. She, she was anticipating a marriage, not a child, not yet. Then in verse 35, Gabriel tells her how it's going to happen. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child will be called holy, the son of God. And then to equate this conception clearly with the miraculous rather than her coming marriage, Gabriel tells her, Mary, by the way, your relative Elizabeth, who was too old to conceive and hadn't been able to have children her whole life, she's six months pregnant. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And it's, it's great that nothing is impossible for God as a single statement that sounds very hopeful given what may be occurring in our lives. But what if the impossible God chooses to make possible is a path that we didn't expect or is a path that we never asked for? Last week we thought about quiet, hidden, hidden, private prayers, prayers prayed from a place of longing, longing for what we do not have. But this week's passage speaks more so to hidden private prayers prayed, not from a place of longing, but prayers prayed when we find ourselves in a place that we'd rather escape, when we'd rather run when we'd rather not have to carry the burden, when we'd rather not have to keep going, living with what we never asked for. God, why are you doing this? Why, why have you given me this? Why have you made this impossible situation possible? If we go back to verse Thirty-two. we see that although there, there, there is nothing that would bring us to the conclusion that Mary asks for this, there is, though, a felt need that's alluded to in our passage. That, that there's a longing for fulfillment that's in our passage. If we go back to verse 32, after Gabriel tells Mary she will conceive and in her womb and bear a son, Gabriel tells Mary who her son is, is going to be. Verse 32, he will be great, And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And if we look at this this verse, there are two characteristics of Mary's son that are very clear. Both in verse 32 and in verse 35. One being that her son is going to be a king. Gabriel mentioned he is going to have a throne. And he's going to reign And he will have a kingdom. Her son's going to be a king. But also her son is going to have a nature that is not of this world. Jesus will reign forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. In verse 35 we read, he will be called holy, the son of God. And so if we remember back to last week, last week's passage opened mentioning King Herod. Verse 5 of chapter 1 set the historical context for these passages as it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, which is an opening line that epitomized the lost state that the people of Israel were in. King Herod was a symbol not of national flourishing and freedom but a symbol of foreign domination and humiliation. King Herod was a symbol of Israel's failure to live up to their calling of, as God's chosen people and so as we said last week, gently hinted at in verse 5 are the hopes and the prayers and the longings of God's people, a longing for freedom and a longing for restoration. And then as Zechariah enters the temple to light the incense which symbolized the prayers of God's people rising up to God, in verse 10, what was happening outside, it says, the multitudes were praying in unison. And it's believed that what the crowds would have been praying for was their position, their humiliation as a people forced to live under the reign of a king whose allegiance was to Rome. The multitudes were praying for divine intervention for God's help to be freed from Roman oppression, for restoration of their relationship with God. Because in the Jewish imagination existed the hope that a Messiah would one day come. He would restore them as a people before God. And this Messiah, the Savior, this King who believed was coming would come from the family line of King David. And so last week we've seen that despite the magnitude of all that was unfolding, despite God's plan of redemption, not just for Israel, but for the whole world, it was coming to fruition still amidst all of those prayers of the multitudes, God still heard the quiet, private prayer of Zechariah and Elizabeth. But this week we see that the prayers of the multitudes have also been heard. By, by Mary not being ready... By her not even being married, by her having no personal prayers for a child, at least not yet, all only served to draw our attention away from Mary to the greater felt need in our passage that was finding its fulfillment. Our attention is drawn today to a felt need that was bigger than Mary, to a purpose that was, was of greater urgency and of greater importance than leaving her life in a state of normal, normalcy. For the sake of it, this purpose or this calling, what Mary may or may not have wanted became a factor that was not of primary importance. And you maybe are thinking, do we... Do we really know how Mary felt? Could could she not have simply uh, been overjoyed to to, to be the mother of Christ? Could she not have simply been overwhelmed with the honor of birthing Christ? Maybe there was no cost that she was considering to the extent that any confusion or misunderstandings due to a teenage girl being pregnant or or the strain on her relationship with with Joseph. Maybe all of that just was, was drifted out of her mind. I don't think so. In verse 38, the last verse in her passage, Mary responds to the impossible situation in her life that God has made possible. And she says, behold, which is so good because usually angels come and they say, behold, to people. So Mary's flipping the scripts when she says, behold, she's using a term that means, okay, angel, you listen to me. It means I'm ready to speak. Now you, Gabriel, it's your turn to listen to me. This is Mary taking a breath and digging deep. And she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And it's because of this verse that we know that Mary knows exactly what's at stake. She knows exactly the cost to this calling. When she says, I am a servant of the Lord, that is a softer translation, really a director translation, than the word servant would be the word slave. Mary is saying, I view my life as one of submission and obedience to my master. And what he has made possible, let it be. And what he has made possible, let it be. How, how do we do this? How do we, how do we follow Mary's example when God gives us an assignment that we never asked for? How, how do we, to use Mary's own words, how do we let it be? If last week's message speaks to our longings to have what we do not have, This week speaks to our longings to not have what we do. Prayers prayed when we we find ourselves in a place that we would rather escape, when we would rather run, how do we choose to stay and how do we dig deep in our submission to the assignment that God has given us? There's definitely more than than one answer to that question, but the answer most relevant to this passage, and particularly during Advent, is evident in our stepping back to remember what is coming about, not only in the particulars of Mary's story, but in the story of the world. That in Christ's coming, a way of redemption was being paved, a path through which humanity's greatest ailment would find healing, so that forgiveness of sins could be obtained Christ, Christ came so that we might have a relationship with God restored with He whom all of our hearts long for. The multitudes praying outside the temple is all, is all of us. And I've said this before, that you're maybe here and you're thinking, yeah, I don't pray. I'm not part of the, those multitudes. Maybe because you don't believe or because maybe you don't make time. But church, either way, we pray every day. Every day. Half the time we don't know what we're maybe saying or who we're talking to. We, we whisper, help me, somewhere, or we're struggling, we log in to see our savings or our our retirement plan, with petitions in our hearts, with hope to King J.P. Morgan, that he'll tell us our future is safe and secure. We pray every day. Rogers Park, Jesus is the answer to our every prayer. Jesus is the answer to humanity's every cry. That is the reason as a church for a holy discontent And Jesus is the answer when we want to run. His life, his incarnation is God saying to us, I hear you. I've heard you. Whatever it is, whatever the pain, whatever the brokenness, whatever the sin, whatever the unknown, whatever the shame, whatever the longing, whatever the emptiness, the solution is a relationship with Jesus Christ. More of him. More, more knowing him, more walking with him, more trusting him, more listening to him, more awareness of his love for you. Why Mary? Again, why did Gabriel leave Jerusalem? Why, why did Gabriel leave the place of prominence and the people of prominence? Why, why did Gabriel choose the, 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 the unexpected Nazareth? Not Jerusalem? A woman, not a man. A lay person, not a priest, a teenage virgin betrothed, not yet a wife of the house of David. Why the the unknown and the unexpected? Because church, that is who we are. Each, Each of our lives is the impossible made possible. No matter who anyone is, we're all just somebody. And each of our lives have aspects that will make us wonder out of all the possibilities that could have been, why this for me? Why do I have to carry this? I don't know if I want this, this assignment. I never asked for this assignment. Church, if that's you, I hope you can be reminded today of Mary's example to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to dig deep this Christmas. Because there is a purpose for which to live. There, there is a purpose for which to persevere. There, there is meaning to be found in your life in knowing there is one who has purposed your life, who intends for your life, one who is of much greater importance than your life. There there is one who is worthy of our allegiance and worthy of our obedience to be a slave for Christ is the Christian's greatest honor and humanity's purpose. And so whatever assignment God gives you, it is an honor because it exists to the end of seeing Christ further birthed in you and birthed through you. Mary was, was, was given that which led her life down a path that yes, was an honor, but also was not easy. A path that yes, was an honor, but also was a weight to literally carry and steward in her body the greatest gift to the world. And so amidst the unexpected, for all who follow Christ, it should be expected that our gift to the world will come through our submission and our obedience. Our staying, not our running are seeking first the kingdom of God. God singles out, he, he chooses us to carry burdens that are yes, an honor, but that are also heavy and hard, an honor that we maybe don't feel ready for or adequate and yet we carry, we, we, we dig deep, we stand up and say, listen up, we are decisive in our commitment to follow Christ because we steward responsibilities that are of greatest importance. Whatever assignment God gives you, it is an honor because it exists to the end of seeing Christ further birthed in you and birthed through you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the example of Mary. We thank you, God, for her clear love of you, her commitment to you. Her life was turned upside down in a way that she did not ask for. And that she said, I'm your servant. I will accept this assignment. God, I pray, God, that we will do that in our own lives with hope, with joy. God, would you meet us? Would you lead us as a people? God, I pray, God, that we would recognize the beauty of Christ's coming and recognizing the way that we can bring Christ to the world around us. Would you give us a holy discontent this Christmas? Not just to be settled and passive and happy enough that Christ came, but may we look around our neighborhood and our city today, wanting to see him birthed in people's lives. It's people encountering him 2,000 years later after he came. May we long for that, I pray. In your name, amen.